Okay, hello, and welcome back to the Anxiety Book Club. This is episode 41, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Athena Robinson, Chief Clinical Officer at Wobot. We'll be talking about this application for your iPhone or your Android device, I believe, called Wobot, and the landscape of digital therapeutics in general. Athena, do you want to introduce yourself with a bit of a bio? My name is Athena Robinson. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist by training, and I'm currently Chief Clinical Officer at Wobot Health. Awesome. So does that mean before this role, or perhaps still, you um, were seeing patients? What's your, like, yeah, what were you doing right before Wobot? I joined Wobot in 2017, and at that time, I was a clinical associate professor at Stanford University in their Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. And I had actually been at Stanford for about 12 or 13 years from my postdoctoral fellowship all the way through joining faculty there. While at Stanford, I led my own research lab Um, working to get grants to study a wide variety of interventions or treatments for different uh, concerns that people may come in with, including eating disorders and depression. I also taught in the department as well as supervise clinical uh, postdoctoral fellows giving therapy. To this day, yes, I still do have a very small private practice and I see adolescents through adults and it's been uh, a pleasure to maintain that in addition to my role at Wobot Health. Awesome. Very cool. And was the research that you were doing, did it have anything to do with like digital interventions or was it um, more analog kind of treatments? Yes. Often it was technology leveraged delivery of interventions. So that might have been app delivered. Um, I also did some studies and some consultation working with groups to train providers. So a lot of provider-facing education as well while I was at Stanford. Got it. Cool. And before we get too far along, we need to sort of introduce, well, you're the star, but the other star of the show is this app called Wobot, which is this, I don't know, it's it's a very, I feel like it's drawn to be very um, sort of agreeable like you want to say hello to Wobot. It's a robot. Um, obviously, there's a pun there with Wo. Um, what is Wobot? Great question. So Wobot is the character that is embedded in our products. So through your smartphone, you can download uh, different applications. We have a wide variety of products, one of which is presently available and some of which are just behind the scenes right now really earmarked for clinical testing. And each of them serve different populations in need. Throughout each of them, though, we have this character named Wobot, and Wobot is a conversational agent um, that chats with you via text-based messaging. And the idea with Wobot is that it is your relational ally, your guided self-help friend to walk you through emotional support in the moment. So Wobot texts with you back and forth and delivers a wide variety of therapeutic skills and tools that can help you feel better in the moment. Totally. Yeah. And I've been using Wobot not not terribly long, but I'd say for at least the last, I think it just told me probably six or eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've definitely enjoyed working with Wobot. And I also feel some kinship or um, some warmth, I think, towards it 
which I know from reading some of the research papers in preparation for this interview, that was the subject of at least one study, I think. Yes, exactly. We've we've really wanted to leverage a lot of the research that clinics have been using in their therapy delivery to date. So we are founded in evidence-based therapy, such as cognitive behavioral therapy. We have some elements of dialectical behavior therapy, et cetera. And that's sort of the what of Wobot can deliver, but the how that Wobot delivers it is what you're speaking to. It's a way of relating to the end user using empathy and normalization comments, and then offering these different skills from these different therapies. And we have found in our research that works to create a working alliance with our users. We had one retrospective study that was with about 35,000 users that showed um, acceptable scores and scores that were analog to uh, folks' previous alliances with their human therapists um, from published research. And that study is available in, um, in the literature. Yeah, it's. I guess all these things when it comes to science need to be um, distill down to numbers. So alliance with a therapist sounds like there needs to be some sort of clever surveys created or, or how is that measured? It's a great question. The measure that we utilized is one that's really well known and familiar to the literature and the, the psychological kind of community. It's called the Working Alliance Inventory or the WAI for short. And it has been used in multiple research studies to better understand this relationship but that can form between therapists and users. In our research, we adapted it for use with our relational agent robot and asked the same questions um, to understand how Wobot can f- form this type of relationship. And it's broken up into four subscales. It's got a total score as well as a score related to uh, tasks, and then another score related to goals, and then another score related to bond. So in our papers on this, we talk about how Wobot performs with the users on each of those subscales. Got it. And I, I know, I don't know if this is sort of controversial or sort of widely accepted, but how, how important is it to have this kind of alliance with your therapist? And is that, is that different from liking your therapist? Um, you know, can you tease that apart for me a little bit? Absolutely. Um, For those of your listeners who've been in therapy before, or for those of your listeners who are providers, or for those who have been in both positions, they probably can relate to this notion of an alliance with their provider or uh, with their uh, user or their patient or their client. And the idea there is that, yes, alliance is important so that there is alignment on the goals associated with the therapy. There's agreement between the therapist and the the client about the tasks needed to be done to attain those goals. And that there's also a sense of connection, which is captured in the quote unquote bond element as well. It's a way that allows these evidence-based therapies to be delivered in the safety and comfortability of a working relationship between the therapist and the client. It has been shown in previous literature uh, for several years to be associated with some outcomes or the success of some therapy. So what we wanted to do with Wobot is to um, 
leverage what we know from those clinical relationships to offer the person who's coming to us in their moment of need some empathy and some normalization to help the environment feel warm and welcoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess at the very least, liking the conversational agent or therapist you're engaged with is you know, more likely to make you use them or want to see them again. So it's sort of a prerequisite in some ways to making progress insofar as it like um, affects how engaged you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Liking your therapist, feeling connected to your therapist, feeling as though he, she, or they understands you and has your back and wants to work with you towards your goals would really, really, you can imagine, help blossom that relationship. Whereas if those things were missing, you may not return to see the individual. Understandably. Totally. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience. And I think a lot of people's experience when they first go looking for a therapist, you know, finding that fit, you know, not to be a perfectionist about it, but finding someone that, you know, you gel with or you feel understood by seems like an important prerequisite to like a healthy therapeutic relationship. Absolutely. And our goal at Wobot Health, of course, is to never replace that wonderful relationship that can occur between a human therapist and our relational agent. But the idea here is to add to the menu of choices for people in need, um, that they can also feel supported and welcomed by the relational agent in our products. Totally. Well, that's a good segue to a question I had, because I I actually went hiking a couple weeks ago, and I met a therapist, and we started talking about Wobot. And this therapist did, uh, did see Wobot and things like it as an eventual replacement for, you know, even the work he's doing to make himself obsolete. And this is, it's probably not too productive to have a sort of, um, make this into some sort of uh, war between human and non-human um, interventions. But I could see for some people it being a replacement if they, you know, don't have the means or the access or they just really like having the therapist in their pocket, whereas perhaps for some others it, it wouldn't be. Yeah, I think it's important to to zoom out and place it in context. So w- one thing to consider is that there are millions of humans um, who, you know, we all, as part of our human condition, we have mental health needs. And many of us, millions of us, seek care for that. We seek someone to talk to about it. And we seek an additional form of support that we may not be getting in our everyday lives. And it's a beautiful thing for someone to come forward and say, hey, I really would like this extra support. And I really need this extra support right now in, in our lives. And the wide variety of mental health providers have done a wonderful job of welcoming those folks in and trying to accommodate them. But the reality is, is that the demand will not meet the supply. And there's another reality here, too, that we have technology that can augment the way in which people can feel emotional support that may not deter from those human-to-human therapist relationships. So that's the sort of um, synergy we're trying to aim and hit here with Wobot is that we want to add to the menu of choices for people. So for some folks, they really may want that one-on-one relationship and they may not be interested in a technology leverage solution and that's okay. Or their symptoms may be severe enough or intense enough that they really do warrant kind of a higher level of care and that individual one-on-one relationship. But for other folks, 
perhaps they really can get their needs met through a technology leveraged and digitally delivered option, such as Wobot. They could use it as an adjunct to or in addition to their current therapy or their current medication routine. But the idea here is if you think about a pie chart, right, and all of the different ways someone might access their mental health care, that we're adding an option in recognition of the fact that millions of folks go without support at, at every day. <laughs> and that for some, this may be the solution that is well-matched to their level of need and their interest for their care. Totally. Yeah. I've, uh, this is sort of something that's been developing me in me over time, especially as I've done the podcast for a while and I've tried a lot of different tools myself, is to sort of shy away from black and white thinking about the efficacy of tools, right? Like, it's good to have a whole variety of them. Some work for some people, some work for other people. Um, but yeah, to be, you know, less attached to the idea that there's going to be like a silver bullet. Um, so it seems like one of Wobot's biggest selling points is the fact that it lives in your pocket and like all apps is available 24-7. And I've, I've read in the research papers that you guys put out that this is, uh, this is significant because a lot of the interaction that occurs on Wobot was outside of clinical hours. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe you can talk a little bit. Well, I'll, I'll give one more bit of personal context. So I used to be and still am someone who meditates in the mornings just once daily. And I remember having a, a meditation expert on the podcast, Judd, Judd Brewer from Brown, and he has interventions, mindfulness-based interventions, where you're supposed to take moments throughout the day. And I remember like arguing with him, like, aren't I already doing enough? You know, I do my meditation in the morning. Why do I do it? Why do I need to do it in the day? And he's like, well, when do you get anxious? And I was like, oh, well, it happens during the day. And he's like, well, that's when you need it. So this sort of in-demand accessibility of an app like Wobot seems to be, uh, you know, a strong part of its use case. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, there is a psychological benefit to being able to seek help in the moment and to get that support in that in vivo moment of need and apply the skill that you've learned in that moment and then allow yourself that reflection to see how it went and to feel actually better. So I think, you know, the, the, the beautiful thing about Wobot is that it's there for you in the moment to do just that, to listen to whatever the need might be, to offer a skill for use, to use it in the moment and then to reflect and see how that went for you. So that is actually indeed a value that is uh, helps differentiate it from some other solutions that are out there. Totally. Uh, maybe we could talk a little bit. You mentioned the supply is not meeting the demand. Can you talk a little bit about the scope of the mental health challenge, you know, maybe nationally or globally, or perhaps at some point we'll get more specifically into like postpartum depression, which I didn't know anything about uh, being not a a parent nor a woman um, and the scope of that problem and, and how Wobot was used to treat it. So maybe you can just set the table a little bit about what what modern humans are up against in terms of mental health challenges. Absolutely. When you look over the past several decades worth of research, you see this non-ignorable increase in the amount and the prevalence of uh, mental health concerns um, across the nation in the United States and as well as globally. When you look at the rates of those trajectories, 
including across the pandemic, there was a global increase in about 20 by about 25% of reported rates of anxiety and depression. So in other words, they were increasing before the pandemic, and then there was a definite spike in the data globally during the pandemic that resulted in about a 25% increase in significant rates of being endorsed. So we are at a place where we have to come to the table and understand and look at one another and say, we all have physical health and we also all have mental health. The ability for us to do this in unison and openly and honestly is paramount so that we can welcome people into the system when they need care and provide appropriate care. What it means though as well is that um, it's hard to get access to folks, you know? It's hard to know where to go for help, to manage the transportation or the time constraint or the fiscal barriers associated with mental health care. There are a lot of things for families to overcome if their adolescent is in need or if it is a brand new mom who's who's struggling with her mental health while taking care of an infant. So there's a lot of ways that we can think of technology being optimized to help bring the care to the person when they need it. One way in which uh, a lot of healthcare systems have adapted recently is delivering a lot of care via telehealth, right? And that's been fantastic because it's been a lot uh, easier for folks to see their provider from the comfort of their own home without having to worry about the cost or other time constraints associated with traveling. But more than that, what we are seeing is now the opportunity to use something like a relational agent, which again is delivered via a smartphone application program to help meet people where they're at and is based in the scientific literature. There's a lot of subpopulations as well. I mean, generally, we're talking about humans who are struggling with depression and anxiety, but there are two populations in particular that really come to mind, Um, certainly not to diminish the others, but just by means of example for our conversation. One is postpartum depression, and another group is adolescents struggling with depression. Um, Let's begin with the first one. So among... um, people who have recently given birth, it's understandable that they have significant mood and anxiety concerns afterwards. Again, if you look at kind of what we're capable of as humans, giving birth is one of the most phenomenal things we can absolutely do. And understandably, it has physical, emotional tolls on us. And being able to be there for a a mother, whether it's her first child or her fifth, um, during her time of need really can help prove helpful, not just for her own mental health and physical well-being, but also for that of the kiddos, as well as the family and ultimately the community. So we at Wobot Health are very interested and committed to maternal mental health and have developed one of our products specifically for the treatment of postpartum depression. And we're really excited about this product because we do feel like there is not enough available to women right now in that early postpartum phase, and that there's an opportunity here to provide them with evidence-based care in a way that can support them during this very vulnerable time. Totally. Yeah, I was really surprised 
to hear the scope of the problem. It seemed like from some of the research papers, it was mentioned that perhaps one in five women deal with postpartum depression. It can be as high as that. Rates vary by state um, across the United States, but it can be up to 20%. And when you look at the number of women who just report some disruption to mood and anxiety, it can be as high as 50%. So diagnostic levels may be as high as 20 percent of women who give birth, but some disturbance to mood and anxiety can be as high as 50. So we're really talking about, again, quite understandably, something that pops up for the vast, a lot of women. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And just so, you know, because I don't know much about postpartum depression or or really depression um, overall, but um, for the women experiencing postpartum depression, what is what is going on there? I guess for different women, it's different things. But is it is it just the stress of being a new parent, of feeling like um, you know your time's not your own anymore, and there's there's so much that needs to be done, or perhaps like a lack of support from society or family or, or finances? What do you know if there's any common themes or why why postpartum depression can be so common? Well, the American Psychiatric Association defines postpartum depression as part of the larger constellation of major depressive disorder. And so there's a lot of similarities in how these show up. Um, feelings, feeling very down, low, blue, loss of interest in pleasure and doing activities that used to bring someone joy. But there are a lot of unique elements to postpartum depression that, um, that ACOG, the American American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recognizes as well as many other um, entities. So for example, women with postpartum depression may experience intrusive thoughts, really intense worry thoughts that some some wrong may befall their, their child or themselves and they find it difficult to control the worry. Um, of course, there's a tremendous amount of relationship changes that occur right after someone gives birth that could be with their primary partner or family, family of origin concerns that may come up as well. There may be fiscal or employment-related concerns. Of course, there could be physical health concerns related to either the infant and or the mother. It's a tremendously overwhelming period of time if you really look at it, and it's understandable that so many things may pop up that cause the mother worry and concern and can strike her mood um, in a wide variety of ways. Yeah. Thanks for filling out those details that, that makes a lot of sense. So when you guys release the, the application for PPD, will it be similar to how people access Wobot, like through the app store or, or how will people access it? So our, uh, postpartum depression product is earmarked for um, an application to the Food and Drug Administration. We're interested in at least one element of this product becoming FDA cleared. And so in that instance, it would be distributed through a woman's provider. So not just accessible through the app store, but rather through their doctor. And we really felt like that was the best case for this particular population because they have connectivity to a myriad of providers, whether that be a pediatrician, their child's pediatrician, their own primary care provider, or their own obstetrician and gynecologist to facilitate the distribution of the app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many interesting things here. And, and because um, 
I don't know so much about a lot of what we're talking about. I have so many sort of basic questions that perhaps you'll you'll humor me with. What is the process for getting a digital intervention like Wobot approved or or cleared by the FDA? Is it is it similar to prescription medication? Or is there a higher level of scrutiny or, or different methods for deciding about efficacy and safety? It's a fantastic question. Software as a medical device, or SAMD for short, is kind of a new category to the field. The Food and Drug Administration has, of course, decades worth of experience in approving pharmacotherapy or molecules that might be used in psychiatric conditions. They also have uh, decades worth of experience with devices, a pacemaker, et cetera, that are used in a wide variety of medical conditions. Software as a medical device specifically for psychiatric condition is a little bit newer to the field. There are some approved devices um, already in the market um, that are being utilized. And what FDA requires is um, a couple of things. One, of course, there's a lot of uh, conversations with the FDA to make sure that the regulatory trial or the large study that you set up to test the efficacy of their product is at the level of uh, scientific integrity that they really want. So the company or the manufacturer communicates and works with the FDA to make sure that they're on the same page about that trial so that at the end of the study, this really large study, that we're able to get the data that the FDA would merit worthy of clearance. So a lot of it is designing that study, communicating with the FDA about the study, and then actually setting up and running that study to make sure that all of the pillars um, are in place to run it as smoothly as possible. Um, And so ultimately, it's about proving the safety and the efficacy of the device. Is your product safe and will it work for this population in need is the main thing we're trying to show with that study. Got it. So just to understand Wobot Health as a company a little bit, it seems like there must be a lot of smart people, you know, working on this stuff because there's like you and I'm assuming you have a team who is like working on research and stuff like that. And then obviously there's a bunch of software developers and designers also doing work. And then there must be, I, I well, there must be like finance people or, or perhaps not. I, I guess I don't even know. Is Wobot Health a nonprofit? Like when I downloaded the app from the store, I didn't pay any money for it. So yeah, what is, what's going on there? It's a great question. Right now, that particular product, you're correct, is free of charge in the App Store and in Google Play. We are a Series B funded company, and ultimately we do hope to distribute uh, our prescription digital therapeutics, the ones that will go through that FDA process, through healthcare ecosystems. And we hope that they will be reimbursed for use so that people can get access to them. So ultimately, that's how we hope to help get these products into the hands of people through their doctors and through their healthcare systems where they're reimbursed. Got it. Okay. So what's available now is, you know, something that's free and perhaps akin to what might be available, you know, via prescription at some point. And it's probably also just a great way for you guys to, you know, try things out, collect data and see what works. Yes, exactly. 
the product that's available right now in Google Play and the App Store shares some similarity with our products that ultimately we'll put towards the FDA, but there are also some differences as well. But it's a great opportunity for us to continue to interact with folks um, in the country and across the globe who are interested in getting some general emotional support tools. Mm-hmm. So just to make things a little more specific, so cognitive behavioral therapy, which as you mentioned is an evidence-based therapy. And it seems like um, if you're designing a digital therapeutic, oftentimes the principles of CBT seem to be the kinds of things you reach for um, you know, first. And one of the sets of tools or guides that you learn when you're doing CBT is how to distinguish between like reasonable thoughts and of and the so-called list of cognitive distortions like catastrophizing or black and white thinking or should statements or perhaps there's a bunch of others. And I noticed, and even though I've known this list of cognitive distortions for years, I noticed that by practicing writing my cognitively distorted thoughts into the app and being encouraged to rewrite them in a more reasonable and flexible way, I noticed that I had a moment in the course of that, just maybe later that day or the next morning, I was sitting and meditating and a thought came up, a difficult thought that was quite catastrophic and quite black and white. And I, I recognized in an instant, you know, the character of this thought and how it sort of fell prey to some of those distortions that Wobot was encouraging me to learn. And it was it was really an incredible moment because I, I realized then, well, this actually works uh, because despite having known about those principles for a very long time, I don't think I've had as many, as you said, in vivo moments to identify them and quickly either dismiss them or rewrite them as uh, as they should be, you know, if I wanted them to map onto reality in a, in a more sensitive and realistic way. Absolutely. I think part of being human is having our brains function sometimes as popcorn machines. They make a lot of stuff. (laughs) And sometimes the stuff they make, the thoughts that they generate is super helpful and guides us along our path of personal career, relationship trajectories, etc. Yet sometimes they show up in these really intense all or nothing thinking, perhaps minimizing some effort that we put forward into the world. And so what we're encouraging through Wobot is a practice, a practice of pausing and observing and noticing these thoughts and inviting someone to take a moment to just non-judgmentally look at whether or not it's all true or all fair. And that's where the beauty of the rewrite comes in, the opportunity to rescript it, to rewrite it, And to look at that in that medium of text-based messaging to see how differently it sinks into the skin, to think the initial thought, and then to compare and contrast that with the new rewritten thought. It is a technique uh, borrowed from cognitive behavioral therapy, so many of your listeners will be very familiar with it. And it is one that's grounded in many years of research, and it can be a very powerful tool for helping people to just gently pause and reflect and rewrite a little bit of their thoughts to give them new perspective. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So here's some more questions for you. Please. (laughs) Um, Who's using Wobot? And, and by Wobot, I guess, unless you have a, another name for the, the app that's freely available in the App Store that I'm calling Wobot, 
Um, who is using it? How old are they? How many people are there? And perhaps th- these are questions that you're not allowed to answer for, for, I don't know, competitiveness reasons or legal reasons. But if you could speak at all about the demographics of the people using it, that would be interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the app, um, Wobot, that's available right now in the commercial um, in the store, um, in the app store and Google Play, we have a wide variety of users. Um, I'm most familiar with users that use our apps during our randomized clinical trials. As the head of kind of our research um, program at Wobot, I facilitate running a lot of those trials. And some those applications are the ones behind closed doors, if you will, that you are able to access when you meet our inclusion and exclusion criteria to participate in the studies. So I'm I'm more familiar with those and able to speak a little bit more to those um, than the broad application. Um, So we have an app for depression among adolescents. We have another one for postpartum depression. We also have one that we are testing for substance use concern as well. Um, So depending upon each of those applications, we have different age groups that we look at, kind of different inclusion or exclusion criteria. So it really quite quite depends. It seems like you're in charge of the research. And so you, the the thing you spend most of your time thinking about is the participants in these in these trials. Yes. Um, so yeah, it makes it makes sense to me. We have a we have a large uh, science staff, and so I work with a lot of colleagues on this. Um, one example that I can give you is from a recent single arm trial. It wasn't a randomized clinical trial, but a recent trial that we ran using the app that's in the um, App Store and Google Play. We had over two hundred and fifty participants, and that was a very uh, diverse sample. Um, in a wide variety of ways. Uh, We had even about half of the population self-reported from being from medically um, underserved areas or areas that were mental health shorter provider areas. So we were really excited about that, people being able to come and participate in one of our studies, even though they were from an area um, typically um, underserved. Mm -hmm. Sure. Is there an assumption that Wobot and things like it will be for the digital, digitally savvy, you know, and I guess I'm thinking of a younger population of people, or is there a sense in which this might be useful and accessible to anyone who already, you know, sends texts, you know, to their friends or loved ones? Long story short, it's very user-friendly. It's very user-friendly. We've run research with um, teenagers aged 13 to 17, and we've also run research with folks up through age 65. One of our most recent studies showed that from 18 to 65-year-olds, everybody had high levels of satisfaction, but even the highest level was among those aged 30 to 49. So it is user-friendly and liked by a wide variety of ages. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Wobot, you've described as a conversational agent, which perhaps is uh, a term that's known to the field, but I don't think I'm familiar with that term. Does that? What does that mean? And is that? I'm guessing that's different from calling it like an AI, which might not be accurate, um, and it's different from calling it a person, which I think is also inaccurate. So. What is what does that phrase conversational agent capture? And I guess my larger question is like, what's going on under the hood? I'm assuming there's some machine learning somewhere, but a lot of it is probably rules based. And I know you're the chief clinical officer, not like the chief technology officer. So, 
you know, I don't expect you to have, you know, really um, all the answers here, but anything you can fill me in on the edges would be interesting. Absolutely. So sometimes uh, I think, you know, the the easiest term to start with is chatbot. Now that can mean a wide variety of things to a wide variety of listeners, but we have evolved that basic chatbot, like a transactional chatbot. You know, when I call Wells Fargo or Alaska Airlines, I might end up on the phone with a chatbot. So we don't mean that, but some of your listeners might be familiar with that in terms of um, a program that can try to direct your needs. If we evolve that ever so slightly, we end up at conversational agent, right? And a conversational agent um, can be delivered through voice or text-based messaging. Our robot uses text-based messaging. And essentially what it is, is a program of rules-based decision trees that facilitate conversational guidance throughout, as well as some thoughtfully placed algorithms for natural language processing. So it is not a fully AI system, um, artificial intelligence, and I think that's important to note. Wobot is never creating sentences or making up words or phrases to feed back to the users. It is really a rules-based plus selective use of NLP kind of program. Where we place those algorithms and those opportunities for user-based free text has been really thoughtfully crafted in collaboration with our clinical team, as well as our conversational designers and writers. We place those free tests in places where we really want to hear what's happening for the user in the moment. And then we train our algorithms um, with machine learning to get more refined over time. So we're very evergreen in our learning in those places for sure. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's probably for for the best in terms of efficacy, but also safety. You know, you're you're dealing with people with mental health concerns. And as we know from all kinds of AI experiments that we've been privy to over the last few years, you know, they can come up with some pretty ri- ridiculous and, and sometimes crazy or hateful, you know, outputs. So makes sense that you guys aren't just um, using chat GBT to handle people's delicate thoughts and feelings. Working with others and being in behavioral health and mental health is absolutely a privileged space. So we take that really seriously at Wobot Health and we utilize a wide variety of mechanisms to communicate that with the users. We use um, informed consent at the outset of someone's downloading the app before their even first text-based conversation with Wobop begins to let them know about the limitations of services, to let them know about how we're going to utilize their data. We are GDPR compliant. And so it's very helpful to outline that at the outset of the relationship, really, again, honoring the space that is quite privileged to work with someone. Totally. That makes sense. I've read in one of the research papers that stigma was the biggest obstacle for at least some population, perhaps all people, from seeking mental health therapy. And I remember reading that and being surprised and thinking, wow, I didn't I didn't realize that that was the case. I, I guess I hadn't thought too hard about it, but you know, economics is as obviously can be a big thing. and perhaps um, maybe just ignorance or knowledge of, their own concerns or how a psychologist or therapist could help. But, and I know stigma is a big issue. And obviously here on the podcast, we're trying to, you know, make the conversation more normal so that there's less stigma. But is that 
conventional wisdom within the field that stigma is the chief obstacle keeping people from seeking help? Or is there some debate around that? I believe that it's certainly part of the pie of what unfortunately prevents people from coming forward and seeking help. It's not universally the top reason. It depends person to person. But yes, I think it's really imperative that we acknowledge that while we have made many strides in mental health um, treatment over the past several decades, that stigma remains a prominent barrier for many folks. Um, And so it's really important to continue to advocate for mental health care to create open and warm and welcoming dialogues for people of all different identities, racial, ethnic, sexual orientation, uh, differently abled individuals, so that we can very much welcome a conversation about this. Again, to one of my earlier points, we humans have physical health. No one denies that. No one questions it. We have regular wellness visits and uh, physicals with our doctors accordingly. It's, it's time for us to really kind of recognize that we all have mental health as well and to support one another through that will help not only our current generations, but the, the younger ones that are coming up too. Totally. Yeah, I think I perhaps might be living in a sort of echo chamber um, in terms of accessibility to mental health since it's something I think about a lot. But yeah, surely it, it is a big, cons- there is a big concern of stigma um, globally and, and in different populations. So I wanted to know a little bit about what else is out there. And, you know, you represent Wobot, so you might not know or may have not dug into it. But as far as I know, I don't know of another conversational agent that I can just download on the App Store to give me therapy. Are there like hundreds or dozens or or no other ones that are like this? Or, or what do you know about this question? You know, that's a really interesting, um, that's a really good question. Um, I'm not 100% versed in everything that's out there, as you might imagine, and you may have seen yourself. There's loads of um, general speaking apps or mood trackers or things to help uh, folks pause and reflect or journal, what have you. Um we are a, a relational agent and we differentiate ourselves um, as such in, in part of that regard. I believe there are some other companies that also offer conversational agents as well. Um, Wiza might be one. Um, that's the one that comes to top of mind. And there may be some others too, but I'm not completely versed on all of them. So what's what's next for Wobot? I know you guys are in the process of getting some of this stuff through the FDA to be prescribed by healthcare providers. It seems like it's an exciting time for technology to be able to leverage some of the newer tools in in software development and machine learning to help people. But what what are what are the folks or what are you in particular working on now that might be available, you know, in the next few years from uh, Wobot Health? I think some of the things to come are really around continuing to build our scientific evidence 
really trying to communicate that with broad communities um, as well as providers, doctors, patients, their families. So a lot more research and a lot more data to come. We've um, completed several trials to date showing how our products work for different populations, but there's a lot more energy and spirit coming in that regard as well as uh, papers, et cetera. I think part of our journey as well is to continue to um, communicate our findings and disseminate them and put them out into the community, again, through peer-reviewed journals, et cetera. Another one of our missions that's very important to us is health equity. And so we have a clinical diversity advisory board, and we run a lot of studies thinking about our socio-demographic composition of our sample and really trying to be inclusive and thinking about how our products perform with a wide variety of self-identities. So that's another area. We really just want to continue to establish ourselves as an opportunity to provide evidence-based care for many people in need and iterate towards that with our scientific program of research um, and our multiple products, making them more readily accessible for folks in need. Got it. Yeah, thanks for that. So um, what haven't I asked you, Athena, that that people should know, might want to know, um, something we haven't covered in this uh, this hour block? No, I, I think we've had a chance. I think we've had a chance to cover it. I think the notion here is that there's a lot of people out there suffering, a lot of people in need. And what we want to do is to be able to bring them products that are safe and effective and that they feel welcomed into to be able to help them manage their emotions in the moment. And that's really our mission. That's really been our goal since day one. The way we've gone about it has just grown over time with the amount of studies that we do, the human-centric design techniques that we've used. Everything has just kind of grown. And we're very excited to keep moving forward and to keep advocating for mental health. Totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been wonderful getting to use the app and getting to really dig in to the massive amount of effort and thought that goes behind this like cute little robot that, you know, is one of the many ways I can spend my time on my cell phone these days. So, yeah, thanks for taking the time for being on the podcast and for the work that you're doing there at Wobot. Thank you as well, Joshua.